We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy to us that you're a God who speaks. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to us. Um, may my words be yours. And Father, open our hearts and minds um, to what our Lord Jesus has to say. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, back in, uh, back in 2000, well, it was 2015, actually, this was probably one of the, um, I don't have the clicker. I'm going to just run and get the clicker because I need the clicker. Sorry about that. There's a picture of this. So back in, this is one of my endearing memories of my time in Dubai. Uh, Wes and I got to go and watch an Australian versus Pakistan cricket match at Dubai Sports City Stadium. 2020 match. There were, it's at the stadium is about 30,000 people. Um, this is not a picture of it, but it's, you, you'll get the idea in a minute. It's pretty close to it. Um, there, it's a 30,000 seat stadium, give or take. There was about 29,975 Pakistani men there. <laughs> 25 Australians, give or take. Wes and I were two of those Australians. And being good Australians, what we decided to do was we decided to wear yellow, of course. Of course I wear yellow. I've got an Australian flag. Of course I'm going to bring my Australian flag. So almost, not quite head to toe, but we were dressed in whatever yellow we could, we could and that's all green there pretty much. But what was different about on this particular day is the two seats we got, uh, we, we were sitting amongst, no exaggeration, probably 5,000 Pakistani men who were wearing what's called their, um, uh, their shawa dress. Now the shawa dress is, is a, a, cotton, a cotton shirt that's sort of very loose fitting, it goes about there down just above your knees, and then cotton pants as well. And so they were all dressed in there, either it's white or it's cream or, or green or something like that. That's what they were wearing, uh, 29,975 of them, and about 5,000 surrounding us in our yellow and white and Australian flag. Now, to say we stood out would be an understatement, don't you think? We, man, we stood out. We were set apart, you could say. Now. What was also interesting on the day, on the night I should say, is that these grown men almost came to blows with the privilege of being able to sit next to me. It was an honour, you see, because Pakistan of course, in Dubai is, um, is the uh, home ground for Pakistan these days. If you go on a tour to Pakistan, you actually go on a tour to Dubai. Um, you don't go to Pakistan, it's too dangerous. So it's their home ground. So to have a visitor sit next to them at their home ground, oh, what a privilege. Um, and they, these, these two, probably men just a bit older than me, sort of in their 50s, were, were shouting at each other for the privilege to come and sit next to me. And then when one, this guy won out, he sat down next to me and he shook my hand and he treated me like royalty. Uh, it was amazing. Um, even with my green and gold all over me, it was, it was a really fun night. Um, we lost the game, sadly. And he reminded me of that numerous times. We stood out. That's what we did. This, these yellow and, and gold and the stuff that we were wearing amongst all these Pakistanis, we were set apart, you could say. It's not a bad image, I think, of God's church. Uh, God's church that is set apart 
And really that ought to stand out uh, because we are the church of God. We're not the church of this world, we're the church of God. And so we stand out. We look different. Uh, we do things differently. Um, we meet in the name of someone who's very different, and that's Jesus Christ. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a way of introduction as we get going on, on this. Uh, oh, it's a bit of a tricky passage in some ways, and there are some uh, parts that are a little bit different. Um, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1 reminds us that we are the church of God, Corinth was. Uh, we're not just a club. We don't, it's not just like the local leagues club or the local Lions. God has drawn us together, drawn the Corinthians together by the work of the gospel, by the gospel. Uh, they are his, we are his. We're sanctified, 1 verse 2, sanctified in Christ Jesus by the work of Christ, by the forgiveness that's been won for us on the cross of Jesus. Uh, we are sanctified. We're in a state of sanctification. In other words, we're in a state of being acceptable to God. And then we're called to be holy, set apart, like Jesus. We call on the name of the Lord Jesus as we meet together. See, there's something significant about this. There's something very significant about what we do here on a Sunday morning, uh, on a Sunday evening. What we do, how we act, who we are, in whose name we meet, what we believe. We're no ordinary bunch. In fact, if we flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we see what really distinguishes us as God's people meeting. You see, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's people, and that God's, uh, God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Key verse to what we go on and look at today. We'll come back to it a few times. Stick your finger in it if you want to. Highlight it, whatever you need to do. Let's spend some more time on that. If you've got your outline there, it's uh, our first point in the outline, God's church and God's temple. Because remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to 4 are the foundation to what Jesus will talk about in 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, <laughs> 15, he wraps it up. Okay. I'm going to drink a bit today. I'm sorry. Um, otherwise, I won't survive. Well, that language of 3, 16 and 17 takes us back to the time following the Exodus in the Old Testament. Uh, remember the, ten, the, the people had been saved, been taken out away from slavery. They had crossed the Red Sea. Ten commandments are given. God had reaffirmed his covenant with his people and now God says to Moses and his people to build him a dwelling place so Exodus 25 verse 8 says the Lord instructed Moses then have them make a sanctuary a tabernacle for me and I will dwell in them so this tent as it, as it was, it was a pretty impressive tent. We got a bit of an idea of it um, back in our reading before, and I'll, I'll go back to that in a moment. But this tent and later the temple in Solomon's time, the, through this tent, uh, the Lord would be... Actually, in the original Hebrew, it's really tabernacling. That's what it is, tabernacling in their midst. He would be in their midst through the tabernacle, through this 
tent and later in this temple. And so when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because of the, the promise of Jesus, uh, of God's spirit that Jesus gives us when he ascended into heaven, now we see here by God's spirit in the Christian's Corinth, for example, God dwells with his people. The church is God's temple. He dwells in us by his spirit. Now, of course, that's got nothing to do with a building or any tradition or anything like that. It's us. He dwells with us, his temple, by his spirit. And so when we come to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 4, so flip over there if you don't mind. Paul writes, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, the power of the Lord Jesus, so by God's spirit, is present. That's truly extraordinary, isn't it? That when we meet together... The power, of, the power of God, uh, the power of the Lord Jesus is present with us. Uh, just like in the tabernacle and the temple years ago, but now we have God's spirit together, we share God's spirit together, the Lord Jesus is with us now by God's spirit. It's truly extraordinary. Now, I, I imagine too, Paul would have had in mind the teaching of Jesus that when two or more are gathered together, he is with them, from Matthew chapter 18. See, the church is no ordinary gathering uh, because when we gather, Jesus is with us. That's how significant this is. When we gather, Jesus is with us. So as we focus on chapter 5 and 6 and these two episodes, uh, Paul now switches, really, he switches over to what it means and what it looks like to be God's church in practice, set apart, holy, sanctified, God's spirit with them as they meet in the name of the Lord Jesus. So for one, it'll mean relationships. Relationships with each other inside the church matter. Uh, and likewise, relationships with those outside, they matter as well. The church is no ordinary bunch. We're set apart because Jesus is with us. We have the spirit of God with us. So in addressing two church matters... Uh, that had arisen in the church, uh, the acceptance of this sexually immoral man and uh, church members taking each other to court, Paul wants to teach them, church at Corinth, three lessons, three lessons for God's church, uh, three lessons that we would be wise to listen to as well. Those three lessons uh, start on point two of your outline, just to confuse things slightly, okay? So... Point number two says there, on associating with fake believers. That's the first lesson. See, the issue is, and it's a, it's a disgraceful issue. This man, is, this man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, probably not his mum, um, but uh, probably a stepmum or something like that, stepmother. So it's something that not even the non-believers do. This man's sleeping with his father's wife. It is a disgrace. And verse 2 says, instead of being filled with grief, well, they're proud. They, they're, and verse 6 says, they're boasting. Now, this boasting is a carry-on from the last few chapters, don't forget as well. They've been boasting in their sort of superior spirituality and their supposed maturity in Christ. You know what boasting is, don't you? But boasting is this, it's an inner attitude I just can't keep it to myself. You know, when your kid's done something pretty special, I'm going to go and put it on Facebook. I'm going to tell everyone. 
uh, or, or your grandkids have, have, have got the lead in the, in the musical. I'm going to tell everyone. I just can't keep it in. That's what boasting is. Uh, that's what they are doing in their supposed spirituality and their maturity. But Paul brings them back down to earth, doesn't he, in the start of chapter 3. He actually says to them, you are mere infants in Christ. Uh, their acceptance of this sin, this sinful man, is further evidence that they are worldly. This man's sin is public, it's ongoing, and it's unrepentant. We've got to see that. He's, he's, just, he's giving into it. He's not struggling. Okay, He's not wrestling with sin. He's not doing that at all. No, he's not trying to resist temptation. This man is not seeking the help of brothers and sisters in Christ. He hasn't joined a small group to be encouraged and grow in his faith. He hasn't done that. All right? uh, he hasn't sought out people to pray for him. He hasn't people who pray for him and stand by him. He hasn't sought out people to help him keep accountable. He hasn't done any of those things. It's open, it's public, ongoing, repentant. So, friends, let's be clear. God's church, church at Robertson, is a place where everyone is welcome. Everyone. Everyone's welcome, especially sinners, us. <laughs> uh, especially doubters. If you doubt, you're welcome here. Uh, if you are a non-believer, you are welcome here. If you're a struggler, if you're going through and you're really struggling, where does God fit in my life? I'm struggling with this particular sin. You're welcome here. You, you want to get it right with God. You, you, you want to stop doing that. But you're struggling and it's really hard. You're welcome here. Church is a place where people have not got it all together. That's what church is. It's not a place for people who have got it all together. No such thing exists. The church ought to welcome all just as Jesus has welcomed all. But the issue here is not really that. The issue here is that this man calls himself a brother. See in verse 11, if you skip down there, he calls himself a believer. He calls himself part of God's church. He's a, he's a fake believer. And this man is dangerous. He's dangerous to God's church. The church at Corinth. This church of Corinth, in their immaturity, are doing nothing about him. And so Paul's command is clear. Do not associate with such people. Uh, expel the wicked man from among you. Now, we'll get to why in a moment. Why is he so dangerous? We'll get to why. But Paul says, hand this man over to Satan in verse 5. I don't think he's saying this man should be killed. All right, He's not saying that because later on he says, don't associate with him. It's hard to associate or not associate with a dead person. Uh, but he's to be removed from the caring and edifying environment that is God's church. Hand him over to his sinful desires. Let him go down that path. Let him do it. Uh, so that that sin can be destroyed by that very action. Sin is dreadful and terrible. There's nothing good about sin. And the hope one day that he'll turn his back on his sin and he'll be saved. So how do we deal with a sinful, uh, a person such as this, who calls himself a brother, not a struggler, we're not talking about strugglers, right? we're not, 
How do we deal with a, with a brother or sister who's unrepentant and lives a sexually immoral, uh, other examples there, a greedy life, who publicly claims to follow Jesus but's an idolater, a slanderer, a gossip, a drunkard, or, or cheats others? There's some examples that Paul gives. How do we do that? Well, we'll learn more as we go along, but if we start at 1 Peter 3 verse 15, 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for, to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's where we start. Where do we, when we deal with non-believers, uh, we do with it, deal with it with gentleness and respect. How about, what, is, what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus talks more about the process uh, in Matthew chapter 18. If you've got a Bible, turn open to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verse 15. So Jesus says, if your brother or, so Matthew 18 verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, uh, just between the two of you. If they listen to, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or, more, two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Uh, do not associate with them. There's a process there, isn't there? Uh, we'll talk more about conflict in a moment. But there's a process. But why are they so dangerous? Why are these people so, so dangerous? And why does Paul say have nothing to do with them? Well, they infiltrate. That's why. With such sinful, proud attitudes... They infiltrate the church and they damage the church. They damage God's temple. We go back to chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 again. God's temple, his church, is sacred. We need to protect it, as we do in ministry. We, if we build well in ministry, we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ crucified, well then we're protecting the church. But we also protect the church. We also protect it against sin and how sin can infiltrate and affect the church. So people such as this sexually immoral man are dangerous because they can destroy God's church. I don't know if you've seen it before, uh, but it is truly terribly ugly and just awful. People like this openly rebelling against God and his word and claiming to follow Jesus are an infectious virus. They are an attack on God's church, a, a stain that spreads. They're like yeast that works through the whole batch of dough. I've got a bit of a prop today. I want you to have a look at my prop that I've got. I'm just going to go over here and get it. So it's very simple. I'll just step back to the microphone so we're recording this. There we go. Here's my prop. It is bread. Do you see that? So this bread here is bread that contains yeast. Who bakes bread at home? Don't be shy. Good. Okay, good. All right. Don't be ashamed. And the wrong of broken bread. It makes the house smell lovely, doesn't it? We used to do it, but don't do it anymore. Anyway, it's just easy to buy it. Um, so here's bread with yeast. All right. Now here is bread without yeast. Unleavened bread, they call it. Uh, Arabic bread, might say it. Um, this is my favourite bread, to be honest. Bit of, bit of hummus with this. Bit of kofta, bit of tabbouleh, 
Um, and uh, maybe a bit of lamb if you want to go the Passover theme. Just wonderful. All right? Just beautiful. I love it. Uh, you can try some after the 6 o'clock service tonight if you like, if it's not dry and crusty by then. Um, do you notice something about... I'll have to put this down. Let me ask you a very, very simple question, but it's so significant in this illustration that Paul gives. Do you notice that this one here is very different to this one here? I think you did notice that, didn't you? I think you did. Very, very different. Do you see the difference that yeast makes? It makes a complete... There's lots of different types of breads, bread with yeast, and uh, here's some bread without yeast. It makes a lot of different... It makes a difference to the taste. It makes a difference to the shape of it, how it works, even, if you can put it like that. Uh, a great deal of difference. That's what I want you to remember. And that's the point Paul makes. When sin infiltrates and goes unchecked in God's church, it makes a great deal of difference. It looks completely different. I'll put this down for a minute. See, Paul says, it's worth having a look at this for a moment. Um, look at that little sentence in verse 7. Actually, we'll, we'll read from verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. What are they really? As you really are, they're, they're sanctified, they're holy, they're set apart. They're God's church. That's who they really are. Protect the church. Uh, don't let sin go unchecked. Get rid of the yeast. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival. It's harking back to the Passover meal again. But let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Don't let sin corrupt, he says. Stop your boasting. Now, before we move on to this final point, you can see in your outline there. It's worth asking a question. Should I be embarrassed about the Bible's treatment of, of this person? It's a bit judgmental, isn't it? They, you'd hardly call it inclusive. And aren't we meant to be inclusive in everything? <laughs> it fires a few people up as they hear those words. But let's not lose sight of something very important. Let's not lose sight of the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of the, church, of the church's responsibility. The church has a responsibility when it comes to sin. Our responsibility is not outside the church. It's first and foremost inside. And so verses 12 and 13 uh, says that God will judge and sort out outside. Don't worry about that. But our responsibility is inside the church. So uh, deal with that sinful man. Deal with it, because sin spreads, it infiltrates, it's dangerous, and this man is dangerous. If we water down and ignore the seriousness of sin, all because we want to be inclusive, well, that's going to destroy God's temple, and God's temple is sacred. We are God's temple. God's spirit dwells with us. God's judgment will be, on, will be far more devastating than anything this world can throw at us. All right, let's move on to this last point, and I'll go pretty quickly now. On the church's reputation, 
<coughs> on the church's reputation with outsiders. It's a final little lesson here Paul wants the church of Corinth to see. I won't read verses 6, to, six 1 to 8 again, but the, the, the point was that these, these men, uh, these people were taking each other to court and Paul says they, they ought to be d- dealing with this problem inside the church. As they take each other to court, to secular courts, they are a poor witness and reputation to outsiders. So rather than working out their disputes in love and humility and kindness, they're pushing their own agendas. Uh, they're selfishly opposing each other in the secular courts. The point is how we deal with conflict as a church actually says a lot about us. How the church deals with its disputes speaks volumes about the work of God and his spirit in our lives. So the behaviour of these Christians in Corinth tarnishes the reputation of the church, which harms God's church. It harms the gospel. When Christians don't love as they should, the church's reputation is damaged. Paul says, it's better to be wronged. It's better to be wronged than have the reputation of God's church and the gospel smeared. Uh, uh, That we might be seen as unloving and hypocritical and divided. In other words, take a hit for the gospel, Paul says. Take a hit for the gospel. Does it really matter? Rather than win every argument, better to be wronged than God's church be, be looked upon poorly. Paul wants to shame them. In verse 5, it's shameful that they can't sort it out themselves. But have to go to these secular courts. God's church ought to be able to fix up our own messes. So with that in mind, I want to give you... I've stopped pressing the button, I'm sorry. I'm hopeless at this. Um, With that in mind, what I'd like to do... There we go. I'd like to give you my top tips on resolving conflict. You ready? Write these down, they'll change your life. Um, Although, before we get to it, though, sorry, you were getting ready, the pens were ready, it's, it's coming, it's coming, it's worth waiting for, let me tell you. Um, before we get, this is actually more important. Remember that in Christ, 1 Corinthians says, we are rich in every way. Remember that? Uh, in Christ, we, well, we know him, we know Jesus. He loves us, he died for us, he forgave us. In Christ, We are rich. We have all we need. Now surely such a promise of God, those promises of God, change the way that we resolve conflict, don't they? Don't they dictate the way we resolve conflict because of those promises of God that we're rich in every way? What does it really matter? See, my hunch is, is more often than not, if we remember these promises of God, these, the conflict uh, may be resolved well so much, so much more quickly. Okay, here's my top tips. Here we go. Get my clicker ready. Here's the first one. Oh, 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 there it is. So the right attitude. In other words, the right attitude of the heart. Humble, forgiving, patient. That's an attitude of our heart when we're resolving conflict with each other. That means, for example, you'll listen well. You won't jump to your agenda. You'll listen well. You're humble, forgiving, patient. That's the right attitude of the heart. Second, we evaluate your part. So Jesus said, it might be relevant, remove the log from your own eye. Maybe you've got a log sticking in your eye. Uh, Evaluate your part. Be honest with God, be honest with yourself about that. That's number two. So number one, have the right attitude of heart. Number two, evaluate your part. 
Number three, as Jesus says, go to the individual, not others. Too often we go to others first, then finally we get to the individual. No, that's an ungodly way to behave. Uh, We go to the individual and we speak the truth in love, as Ephesians says. And we focus on the problem, not the person. So, we go to the individual, not others. And finally, well, we be prepared to take a hit for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, which is far more important than you and I, we take a hit for it. It's better to be wronged than have the gospel or God's church be slurred or be put down. Four things worth remembering and three lessons worth remembering too that Paul gives to his church. Why don't we pray and then we'll have a bit of time for comments or questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a good God, that you love us and care for us all the time. We thank you for church, the privilege it is to be here together. We thank you that um, you are with us as we meet. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. By it, Jesus is present with us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that in response that we would behave in a way that's fitting to be representatives of you uh, and your spirit with us. Lord, help us in times of conflict, when it gets a bit tricky, we've got to deal with um, disagreement, whatever it might be. Lord, we pray that your spirit would, uh, you would fill us with your spirit as we deal with those situations, uh, that we'd be Christ-like in our manner. We thank you for today. We thank you that your blessings are new every morning. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.